Before we get started, why don't we go to the Lord uh, and seek his help and seek his... Never mind. Can I have you go be, take everything behind the communion table so that people in the cry rooms can see you? Is that better? Okay. All right, well, why don't we pray before we get started? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that we can come before you as your children. We thank you that there is uh, so many things that we can continue to learn uh, and grow. Many ways, Lord, that you are uh, conforming us to the image of your son. As we learn today, may you uh, bless us. May you remind us uh, of who we are and who we belong to and how that affects us in our lives. Uh, May you guide us in this knowledge. May you help us to trust you evermore. Uh, And may you bless our hearts through this whole time. We thank you that we can come before you, and we thank you for your son, uh, the word who reveals you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, So there's there's some currents in our culture today that you've undoubtedly noticed, uh, currents that kind of undergird a lot of the uh, the discussions, uh, the news, politics. uh, It's all revolving around... um, the concept of identity, who we are as people, uh, how we identify ourselves, what identity even is. Uh, These are things that you guys are going to hear, that you're seeing work themselves out in our culture, uh, in conversations, in schools, right? The the concept of identity is really important right now. Um, It's something that people are talking about and something that if we don't start talking about it and thinking about it and conforming ourselves to what God's word says, right? We're in danger of kind of picking up some of those, um, some of those currents because it's just, it just gets in you. It gets in your mind. You start thinking about it that way. Um, so identity itself, we have to talk about what it is, right? How do we even start to think about identity? Uh, and I'm probably going to say the word identity so many times it's not going to mean anything anyways. Um, but what we can boil it down to, maybe it's an oversimplification, Uh, But we can boil it down to uh, is, who are you? Identity is the answer to the question, who are you? How are you defined? How would you think about yourself? Uh, How does that affect how you live, how you talk, uh, how you think, and how you act? Identity flows into all of those things. Identity is is a core part of who we are. Uh, It's part of our nature to have an identity. And you could uh, reduce identity even further down, right? You could reduce somebody's identity into the, the sum total of all the parts that they have. Um, and you see that flowing into things like identity politics uh, and intersectionality, which is a very big word. Um, but basically, what that says is you as a person are defined by all the parts that make you up. Uh, And it usually has to do with your class, your race, your gender, your orientation, uh, and all those categories. You as a person are made up of all those categories. Uh, And so intersectionality says that that's your identity. So my identity is I'm a white, uh, uh, straight, cis male. And that means that I have a bunch of privilege. Um, But that is my identity. And whether I recognize it or not, whether I accept it or reject it, that is who I am. And that is how most people think. Right? That is, is 
how the culture is thinking of identity. And when you look at someone, you can tell who they are because they are made up of those parts. And of course, we go, well, that's not true. right? You can have two people who look exactly the same and be completely different people. But identity is, is even more than personality, uh, hobbies, interests, likes. These are some of the things that maybe we would start to say, well, yeah, but I am different from someone else because I like sports. Or I'm different because my favorite color is, is something else. Or I like to do this, and that defines me. I identify myself with the things that I do, or I identify myself with my kids and my family, or I identify myself uh, with the things that I enjoy. Even this is still not getting at the root of identity. Because these are superficial things, and, and ultimately, these are me-centered things. And that is what the culture is doing, is making identity me-centered. We get to either decide our identity, or we get to uh, uh, make it up, derive it from places that we want to derive it from. Um, we get to decide how we live. We get to decide how we talk. We're in charge of our lives, and thus we're in charge of who we are and how others perceive us. But that is not the case, right? That is not true. Identity cannot be self-centered uh, for many reasons. But... Are there, are, there many, are there any ways, do you think, that we actually have a say over our identity? Is there any sense in which we can have a, a say in who we are? What do you guys think? Even though the culture says this, right, and maybe we want to run to the opposite direction and say, well, no, I have no say in my identity, or I have no understanding of who I am. What do you think? How do we think about our identity? Can we have any influence over what our identity is? Influence because we have choice. Yes. Okay. What do you mean by that? I mean, you can choose to be a foul-mouthed person, uh, an immoral person, or just the opposite. You make those choices. Nobody makes those choices for you. And part of that becomes your identity. Sure. So how we, how we live is in part a choice that we are making. I heard a guy say one time, I'm not who you say I am. I'm not even who I say I am. I am who God says I am. Yeah, definitely. I am who God says I am. That's uh, really, really true. You can educate yourself by reading, and in Christianity, that would be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Uh huh. So you don't need to stay the way you were, were before. You sure. Yeah, there's possibility for change because we can we can read. We can be intentional in our growth. We can uh, pursue ways to, to grow as a person so that we're not the same person that we were yesterday. What else? Are there any other ways that we can maybe have an influence or have a say or, or um, yeah? I think that when you encounter the God of the Bible and you read who he says you are, you can choose to submit to that or you can reject it and then you're on your own again. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah, when you come face to face with God, like Jacob, right, you could either reject God or you could leave a changed person. Right? Jacob was not the same person that he was after he encountered God. In fact, he was so different that God gave him a different name. Israel, he who struggles with God. So let's think about it like this. Um, the culture will say that identity is subjective, that it is me-centered. I am the subject of my life. Uh, I am the subject of the story that's happening. Um, the other way right, is we could think of identity as objective, where, in fact, we are not the ones creating our identity. We're not choosing who we will be. Instead, we are submitting to something that's already true. We're submitting to who God says we are. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any, any part to play. Right? We are not completely passive uh, recipients. In fact, the Lord wants us to be in a relationship with him. And I think we see that when, when God created a man and woman in Genesis 1. What he says is, uh, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And then he continues to say, and here is everything he will do. He will uh, let them have dominion over everything that has been created. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God. How does that affect our identity? What do you think? Life has value. Okay, life has value. Mm -hmm. There's something about being created in God's image that lends us uh, an intrinsic sort of, of value. That's not something to throw away. It's not worthless. But God created man and woman in a different way than he created creation. It sets man and woman apart. It gives us responsibility and uh, a calling, if you would. God sets that up in, our, in the garden. We have responsibilities, and uh, we're not just left to our own devices. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That being created in the image of God means that we're also given a task to do. And that task is part of our identity. It's something part of who we are and who we are created to be. And you could either run from that or you could submit to it. Steve? It also puts us very distinct from the animals. That we are the, the value and the rule over creation. So it, I feel our society is kind of mixing the, the, the value of human life and animal life. Totally. Yeah. Dolphins are people too, guys. Come on. No, you're absolutely right. God sets man apart from the animals, uh, not just in creating them, but also in giving them tasks. Like God will say to, uh, to all the fish and to all the birds, be fruitful and multiply, but it is to man that he says, have dominion over everything that's been created. Subdue those things. Play a part in my creation. It's part of our identity, something that is inescapable uh, and part of who we are as human beings. 
Um, there's, there's a couple of other ways we could think about what the image of God means and how that affects our identity. And I think it's, it's along the lines of life is intrinsic, right? Human life has value. But doesn't God also say, right, that he's going to make man in our image after our likeness, that there's something about man that is going to reflect God? Something about how we're created uh, is meant to point to the Lord. Uh, and then God gives us these commands, right, to fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. It's, it's almost like the Lord is saying, like, I want you to be like me. Not me, right? You're not going to become God, but you are going to act like me in some ways. You are going to take my creation that I have created, and you are going to rule over it. You are going to subdue it. So we could think about the image of God in in a lot of different ways, Uh, but maybe two different categories we could think would be human nature, right? Intrinsic value. uh, The catechism will say that we are created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Uh, These are things that are part of who we are. The the fact that we can think and have rational discussions uh, and be creative uh, and understand the difference between right and wrong but then there's also the roles and the offices, uh, the, the tasks that God has given us to do as humans to use our knowledge and our righteousness and our holiness for the glory of God, uh, for the purposes that he set before us, uh, to apply them uh, in good ways, and ultimately to be in relationship with the Lord. Right? To be made in the image of God is to be in a relationship because you are reflecting God, whether you want to or not. So what do you think happens when sin comes into the equation? If that's how God created us to be, to act, to live, to reflect him, to be in this relationship with him, how does sin affect that? It breaks the relationship. Right. Right. Right, you start acting like pond scum. <laughs> uh, definitely. John. Um, between the first Adam and the second Adam, we had no right to come to God directly anymore. That had been broken. Mm-hmm. That fellowship that God had with Adam in the garden no longer took place. Yeah. He was exiled. Right. Exiled from the presence of God. Man. Yeah. And even that's what Satan attacked in the garden, you know, attacked those qualities of God and, and tried to turn us against him. Yeah. That's a great point. Pastor Brett in the, it was a class that he was giving to younger kids learning about who they are, what they teach. And he said, God formed us, sin deformed us, and the gospel reforms us. He used to use a pan that was all beat up. And his, his wife said, you use the example 
Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you, Pastor Brett. Uh, it's God forms us and deforms us, and Christ reforms us. Yeah. And then going back to what Matt said, just having the, the sense that instead of using our knowledge, righteousness, and holiness uh, towards the task that God has given us for the glory of God, for the good of others, it's, and now it's flipped. Right? We use the gifts that God has given us, the things that he has created us uh, with, and we use those for ourselves, for our own gain, uh, to hurt others, and to hurt God. Right? Our identity that was supposed to be directed in a certain direction is now it's broken, and we're purposeless. We are without any sort of definition, Right? It's almost like the, the solid lines that had been put around us as an identity had just become blurred, and now we're just floating, looking for something to put an identity in, looking for something to hold on to and to grasp that will give us a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of self, that we exist for a reason independent of God. Right? There is a real sense where without the Lord... We have nothing but an identity crisis. Because who are we without God? We were created to be with God. We were created to be like God, to reflect Him, to be in a relationship with Him. And so when sin enters into and severs that relationship and deforms all the things that God created us to be, now we're left without any sense of of self. Who we were created to be is, is gone. Paul will say it in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. He'll say that we were by nature, before Christ came into our lives, by nature we were children of wrath. That something about who we are is now children of wrath. That our identity is, is gone. And so how, how do you see people dealing with this identity crisis? How have, how have you felt it? Or how have you seen others deal with uh, this crisis of identity? Yeah. Just people looking and looking and looking and never seeming to find what they're looking for. Pat? Right. They don't want to find it from God because obviously that's broken. And so you look for it in creation, but you can't find it in creation. Yeah. I see it in stories about my toddler cannot trans or something like that. You know, and it's just when you re- reject the most obvious, you know, parts of your identity, what gender you are and whatnot. I mean, yeah. It's just, it's just baffling. You've just thrown out all, all sense and reason. Right. Along with God. Yeah. The God first and then went to every other thing. Yeah. Like when sin comes in and breaks their relationship, it's like there's no more foundation to stand on. And so anything goes. Every, yeah. Everything. Anything and everything goes because nothing matters. And you just need something. And it can't be God. Right? Do you notice that? It can't be God. 
It can be anything, but it can't be God. Or it could be some false God. It could be something that looks sort of like God, but is not really. Because in reality, whatever God you have created is focused on you. It's a self-serving religion. It's something that uh, is is still me-centered. Yeah, totally. Brett? Seems to be a hopelessness that if, if you are the consequence of your context, then, then it's fatalistic. There's no, there's no hope. There's, you're either an oppressor or you're oppressed, and there's no, there's no hope for anything better. Right. Totally. You can end up in a, in a hopeless spiral where you can't change your circumstances. Like, I can't change the color of my skin. I just am an oppressor. How hopeless is that? Or or you can't change uh, something about yourself, and that just means that you are oppressed. Like, how hopeless is that? Of course you're going to react in some sort of way, either in despair or in anger or in uh, confusion, because... What can you? What else can you hold on to? Yeah. Related to that, the problem never seems to be here. It's always somewhere else. Right. The problem is always out in the world. That would just get fixed. My life would be better. Right. Definitely. There's there's a sense too where this brokenness, uh, we're made in God's image, and we are to see each other with with value and you know being in God's image as well, but. Yeah, because, I mean, is it, it's probably a fair assumption that if everything is about you and you are only doing things to serve yourself, that everybody else is as well, which means that if you give them the opportunity, they will take advantage of you. That if you're not, if you don't protect yourself, someone else is going to oppress you or take advantage of you or or use you. And so you can get really, um, I forget what the word is, cynical and jaded where you just want to build walls around yourself to defend yourself so that no one can get in because where are you putting your identity? Either in making yourself feel good or even um, what others think of you. Right? How, how obsessed is our culture with looking good to others? How obsessed are we <laughs> Like, it'd be nice to say that we don't do this, right? That we're so much better that, oh, man, yeah, I'm great. It's all those other people, those non-Christians who are, who are like this. But it's us. Right? We want others to think well of us. We want to look good. We want others to think that we're good Christians, that we don't have any struggles or any problems. Because then we have to admit that 
Our identity does not depend on us. We have to admit that we need someone bigger and better to come in and fix things. We have to do what everybody in the world does not want to do and put our identity in God. Right? No one else wants to do that. And it's a struggle for us to do that because of sin, because we know that there's, there's been a break. And so it's almost this uh, really timid and tentative little steps of faith towards God and then running away because, oh, no, I, I sinned or, or something went wrong and maybe God hates me now and then take a little more timid steps towards God. Right? We, we are still afraid that the Lord is going to change his mind. But what happened on the cross? Right? How, does, how does the cross shape our identity? What do you think? How does the cross shape our identity? God sees us as his children, as his, he took our place, and he sees him, he sees Christ in us. So our identity has changed that way at least. Right. God sees us as his children. Yeah. Because as holy as we think we might be this side of glory, we ain't. Yep, it's true. But what we are, we are in Christ. Yeah. There's so much security and hope, and, you know, it's amazing. It is. I mean, think, think about the fact that when God looks at us, he doesn't see who we see in the mirror. Right, because of the Lord and because of his grace, because of Christ, when God looks at us, he sees his son. And he sees you as your, his child, his daughter, his son. And that cannot change. Right? If, could your children ever stop being your children? No, they could, they could run from you like the prodigal son, Right, they could be mad at you. They could do really awful things to you, but that doesn't change the fact that they are your ch- your children. And kids, right? Can your parents ever stop being your parents? No. Even if they're the worst parents in the world, they can't stop being your mom and your dad. So apply that to God. God can't stop being your father. You can't stop being God's child. And why? Because you're in Christ. That shapes your identity, right? How else, how else does the cross shape our identity? Yeah, the cross solves our problem. That sin created a divide, it created a break, 
that cast us out into the exile of identity crisis. And the cross comes into the picture and heals the divide and gives us a foundation again. That, doesn't that affect how we act and live? John. Right. And that's a process. I agree with that. That is a process. But we have hope and joy. Yeah. We have those basic tools to get us to that point in Jesus Christ and recognizing his obedience, his death, and his resurrection. Yeah. John, do you just want to come up here and teach the rest of the lesson? I mean, that was great. (laughs) Like the Lord and Christ gives us not just, uh, not just a purpose and a goal, but also then the tools and the means of grace, right, to reach those goals. That if the cross provides the foundation, and it's a process, right, we're not instantly upon conversion made to be like Jesus. We're not instantly perfect and holy and awesome, um, but there's still problems that are in our lives. There's still sin issues that we're dealing with. We're still, we still go through times often of doubt, of identity crisis, of struggling to believe the truth. But the Lord then gives us the tools to deal with those things. To say, well, where should I go with this sin? Because if I didn't have Christ, the only way to deal with sin is to somehow make up for it or do a bunch of good works or atone for it on your own. But that's impossible. Doesn't stop us from trying, but it's impossible. There's a a contrast between maybe the way an unbeliever would look at it and the way that we should, is that we essentially have to deny who we are and find our, our identity in Christ. Whereas I think someone who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't want to know the Lord, they hold on to their identity as hard as they can protecting it in, in ways that are fruitless and um, and that's what always creates that anger and hostility that we see in people who find themselves unhappy with where they are and mm-hmm. what they do. Yeah. Definitely. Steve. Um, Christ's work on the cross and, and, and the Holy Spirit's work will bring us to faith changes our view of the world in eternity. And so that, you know, I think when we understand that we live in a very broken world, but this world is not our home. That, that God will bring us home to live in a sinless, perfect world in time. Changes our view of who we are in this world. You know, I, I think we and unbelievers really agree that this is a very broken world. You know, and that, I think that's where a lot of the struggles come from. Is how is this world so broken? Why do people hate each other? Why is there all this wrong? You know, and, and the, the answers of what are the reasons behind the brokenness? What are so different? What changes when you come to faith? Right. You know that to me, that's a whole worldview that that affects um, our identity. You know, we aren't we aren't here to to find happiness on earth. You know, we aren't here to find earthly answers to the brokenness. You know, we 
Definitely. Brett. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, a real sense where power is an opportunity. I'm just going to re-say re it in case anybody missed it. Power is an opportunity to, to serve, um, and affliction is an opportunity to grow and to be refined um, and to be conformed to Christ. Yeah, finding the cross, putting our identity in the cross, means everything that we think should happen is actually flipped. Right? Instead of now we are pursuing our own good, now we are offering ourselves up as for, for the good of others. We don't view ourselves as something to keep and to hold and to hold tight on. We don't view our identity as something that we need to make sure is, is okay and safe. But now we willingly, because we saw it modeled on the cross, give it up and allow God to define us, and allow God to show us, to lead us, and to sanctify us. Pat, saw your hand. Coming to faith and understanding the work on the cross leads us to repentance, which then breaks the chains of guilt that we all carry with sin. And so once that guilt goes away, Yeah. Think about the, the honestly, the, the shocking statement that Paul makes that we are not slaves to sin. Right? And if we're thinking along the world's terms, what would you expect the next words to be? But now we're, we are free to make our own choices, or we are free from others oppressing us, or we are free to now decide who we want to be and how we want to live. And it's just going to be great. No, Paul says, you're not slaves to sin now. You're slaves to God. It's not that you are no longer underneath authority or that you are no longer underneath someone. It's that now you are underneath the proper someone, the one you're supposed to be underneath, the one you're supposed to, going back to Genesis, living after, imitating, obeying, walking in righteousness and knowledge and holiness. And that's actually freedom. That's when we are uh, free to be ourselves. Right? Because if, if that's who God created us to be, that is who we are free to be now. Because Christ has, has broken the chains of sin and guilt and even death. Even death has no sting. Because we now have a hope a hope in, in something greater and better uh, and more complete. I hope that the brokenness that we feel still is temporary and that even what we go through now is for a purpose and that the afflictions we experience are not, not just 
the random events of a chaotic universe, nor are they the, the angry hands of, of uh, a God who hates us, but they are the loving, the loving caresses of a God who loves us. And because he loves us as his children, wants to see us grow in our faith and become more like Christ. And there's, there's another shocking thing uh, that the Bible says where you talked about how there all, the, all these verses where it says that we are now in Christ. Can anybody, I don't know, I don't know if I want to ask you to guess because that might be just discouraging. Um, there's another shocking thing, though, that Scripture says. It's not just we identify with God. God identifies with us. Right? It's not just we find ourselves in Christ, but now Christ says, you are my people and I am your God. That even our own identity is not just being a passive recipient, but now responding to a God who looks into our lives and acts and identifies himself with us so that he can say to Paul or Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me. Isn't that a, a wild statement of identity? That Christ is saying, the God of the universe, the one who created everything is saying, these are my people, and if you hurt them, you are hurting me. That if you touch them, you and I are going to have a problem. That not just is he willing to say that, but he is willing to go all the way to give himself up for his people. To even become like his people. So that he, is, he not just uh, feels what they go through, but lives the life of a perfect human uh, and bears our sin despite his perfection. And that doesn't stop just because Christ died and was resurrected. He doesn't stop identifying himself with you. But he is still your high priest who intercedes for you and mediates for you and prays for you and thinks about you and cares about you and cares what goes on in your life. You matter to him. That's a crazy statement. Because that is not how the world thinks power works. That is not how the world thinks slavery works. Slavery is only bad. But scripture shows us that there's actually a real connection between us, his, his people, his servants, created uh, to obey him. And yet, he is not... an oppressive master, but a king who loves his subjects and who uses everything that he has for their good. That is your identity. Your identity is not something you create. It's not amorphous, right? Ready, just waiting for you to put your stamp on it to say, I am going to be a basketball player or I am going to like jazz music. And that is who I am. Or I am going to live a good life. 
and others are going to like me, or I'm going to be funny, and that's who I am. We have something far richer and deeper and more amazing that we can now say, I belong to Christ. He is all I am and all I need and all I live for. And that is what being yourself is. And we're not ourselves, right? When we're living against that or when we're running from God or, or pushing against him and what he's doing, but we are ourselves when we're submitting to him and worshiping and praying and trusting him and growing and reading his word. So that's, that's our little thing on identity. Are there any uh, questions before we close in prayer? We are not helpless. How can you be when you've been predestined to be like his son? Yeah. It means you can't screw it up. It's not in your hands. All right, well, why don't we uh, close with a time of prayer? Almighty God, we thank you that we can come to you because we have no right on our own. We have nothing in our hands that we could bring, nothing that we could give to you, Lord, to ensure that you would hear and that you would listen and respond to our prayers. But we can look to Christ. And we thank you that we have this boldness to come before your throne. As we worship you this morning, may you uh, work deeply in our hearts to remind us that we are that we are yours that we have been bought with a price and help us lord to put our identity in you and not in the things of the world that can never satisfy to not seek our satisfaction or our hope or who we want to be from uh, what we see around us but to look to Christ and to find everything we need in him satisfy our hearts lord And thank you that you have provided so many ways, so many tools and resources uh, for us to cling to as we go through life's journey. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.